0: Welcome to the Council of Institutional Investors podcast on corporate governance and capital markets regulation. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. Purpose of these monthly episodes is to update CII members and the general public on significant developments in U.S. corporate governance and capital markets regulation and CII's related activities. This update covers a period from August 1st through September 5th, 2023. The following is my top 10 list of events over that period. Number 10. On August 1st, the U.S. House of Representatives Committee on Financial Services, Capital Markets Subcommittee Chairman Ann Wagner of Missouri, and Financial Institutions and Monetary Policy Subcommittee Chairman Andy Barr of Kentucky sent a letter to Federal Reserve System Chair Jerome Powell. The letter expresses concern about the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission's January 2023 proposal to implement. Section 27B of the Securities Act of 1933, a provision mandated by Section 621 of the Dodd Frank Act. Letter states that that provision would prohibit conflicts of interest in certain securitizations and therefore might impact the ability of companies that fall under the Federal Reserve's purview to adequately manage risk. Observing that recent bank failures can partly be attributed to a lack of adequate hedging strategies, the lawmakers raise concerns that the proposal would establish broad prohibitions impacting the continuation of routine market activities and potentially disallow bona fide capital raising, risk management, hedging, and investment opportunities. Accordingly, the lawmakers urged the Federal Reserve to work directly with U.S. Securities Exchange Commission Chair Gary Gensler and his staff to address consequential market concerns on how the rule will impact the ability of companies the Federal Reserve regulates to properly and effectively manage their risk. Number nine: On August 7th, a group of 75 House Democrats, led by Representatives Sean Casten of Illinois. Juan Vargas of California and Kathy Castor of Florida sent the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission chair Gary Gensler a letter urging him to finalize quickly the commission's March 2022 proposed climate disclosure rules rebutting claims by Republican lawmakers that the proposed rules fall outside of the SEC's scope letter argues that the proposal is squarely within the commission's authority and mission to protect investors, maintain fair, orderly, and efficient markets, and facilitate the formation of capital. Addressing concerns about the materiality of the proposed disclosures, the letter points out that last year, the cost of climate and weather disasters in the United States totaled more than $165 billion, the third most costly year on record. Lawmakers said that these events can materially affect the financial and operational well being of companies around the world, including SEC registrants. Letter adds the current patchwork of voluntary reporting requirements is inadequate and lacks rigor, consistency, and verifiability. Letter also notes that the European Union is currently implementing its Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive, which will increase climate related reporting requirements on companies within the EU and those that have substantial activity within the EU, including thousands of U.S. companies. Number eight, on August 7th, Judge Edith Jones of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit appeared skeptical about the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission's defense of its 2022 rollback of its proxy advisor rules while hearing oral arguments in the case of National Association of Manufacturers versus U.S. Securities Exchange Commission. The SEC in July of 2022 approved amendments that rescinded two provisions in the rules that the SEC had adopted in July of 2020, but never enforced. Those two provisions required proxy advisor firms to one, make their advice available to companies that are the subject of their advice when or before they distribute the advice to their clients, and two, provide their clients with notice of any written statements by subject companies regarding the proxy advisor firm's voting advice. SEC Chair Gary Gensler froze the controversial rules in 2021. Council of Institutional Investors supported the rescission of the provisions, which we believe could have harmed the independence, increased the cost, and reduced the timeliness of proxy voting advice. CIA emphasized that Institutional Investors, the primary customers of proxy voting advisory companies, did not request or support those provisions. Judge Jones downplayed the processes involved in proxy advisors providing a review of the reports to companies, saying it simply involved pressing a button and would not affect the timeliness or cost of proxy advice. She also questioned the timing of the rollback, arguing that the proxy advisor firms already would have had to make adjustments to allow for an advanced review process by the time the SEC rescinded that provision. Judge also questioned why the SEC provided a 60-day comment period for the original 2020 proxy advisor rules but just 30 days for the rule partially rescinding them. Paul Hughes, a McDermott, Will, and Emery partner representing the National Association of Manufacturers and Natural Gas Services Group, argued that the SEC's rescission of provisions in the proxy visor rules was unlawful for at least three reasons. One, it represented a direct contradiction of earlier factual findings without doing what is necessary to overturn a previous rule. Two, it provided arbitrary and capricious reasons for the rescission. And three, used unlawful procedures in adopting the new rule. Mr. Hughes argued that in its 2020 rules, the SEC said it had addressed any burdens related to costliness, independence, and timeliness associated with the advance notice provisions, but then the commission said it was rescinding that provision based on the burdens it presented. Daniel Matro, an SEC senior appellate counsel, said the commission in its 2022 rule rescinding the advance notice provision Did provide persuasive considerations. Prominent among those were the fact the vast majority of investors, proxy advisor clients, strongly opposed the provision, believing it provided risks to the timeliness and cost of proxy advice. Judge Jones and Mr. Hughes also raised concerns that the SEC's 2022 rule violated the intent of the Administrative Procedures Act because the act was meant to have a stabilizing effect on government agencies as they issue regulations. Mr. Hughes argued that a change in a vote on the commission or a presidential election certainly can change policy prerogatives or an agenda, but they can't change the findings that an agency previously made unless the agency adequately explains the public why it's making that change. In response, Mr. Metro said agencies can change their minds on difficult, controversial questions after a change in administration, and there's nothing surprising or nefarious about that. In a separate case, a federal district court judge in Tennessee ruled on April 24th that the SEC had the authority in 2022 to roll back rules on proxy advisor firms that had been adopted in 2020. Number seven, in an August 3rd comment letter, the Council of Institutional Investors generally supports the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board's June 2023 proposed amendments to its auditing standards related to companies' noncompliance with laws and regulations And the letter suggests bolstering auditors' role for internal whistleblower programs. CIA emphasizes that under its membership group policies, auditors are financial gatekeepers in the capital markets. And for decades, auditing standards and the federal securities laws have required that auditors play a role with respect to company noncompliance with laws and regulations, including fraud. The CIA letter says that it's appropriate to update and strengthen the interim auditing standards governing how auditors identify, evaluate, and communicate noncompliance with laws and regulations, including fraud. The CI's letter also says the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board should consider potential improvements to the proposal, including changes to expand the auditors' responsibilities under companies' internal whistleblower programs. Specifically, CI recommends that the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board consider expanding the auditor's responsibilities regarding these programs to explicitly include, among other procedures, three items one, obtaining an understanding of the audit committees and management's policies, processes, and procedures, two, testing controls to determine if the processes operate as expected, and three, reviewing and assessing complaints that are reasonably likely to have a material effect on the financial statements. Number six. On August 23rd, the chairman of the House Financial Services Committee, Patrick McHenry of North Carolina, and the chairman of the Capital Markets Subcommittee, Ann Wagner of Missouri, sent a letter to the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board. The letter urges the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board to reevaluate the June 2023 proposed changes in its exposure draft regarding company noncompliance with laws and regulations. The letter argues that the proposed changes are in direct conflict with existing rules and risk undermining audit quality auditor independence, and the materiality standard. Number five, on August 30th, the Council of Institutional Investors responded to a solicitation for input from the International Sustainability Standards Board regarding their standard setting agenda. CI's letter urges the standard setter to pursue projects with significant relevance to investors who increasingly seek reliable information on how non-financial metrics impact business and profitability. CII also encouraged the International Sustainability Standards Board to make research and standards setting on human capital its highest priority. Specifically, CII recommends that this effort include improvements to human capital disclosure by companies in at least four areas. One, total number of employees. Two, the breakdown of the numbers of full-time, part-time, and contingent workers. Three, employee turnover rates. And four, the total cost of a company's workforce. With respect to the fourth item, the total cost of a company's workforce, letter suggested that that disclosure item might include a breakdown of costs related to salaries and wages, benefits such as health care, employer's contribution to Medicare or Social Security, value of equity based compensation, commissions and bonuses, prerequisites, overtime, severance payments, and retirement. CI said a project delivering comparability of these four areas for companies of similar size and in industry paired with qualitative disclosure giving companies the opportunity to provide context, could substantially strengthen investors' ability to evaluate this pillar of company value. Number four, on August 28th, the Council of Institutional Investors issued a letter that praised the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission for several of its recently issued final rules and made recommendations of what the agency should prioritize going forward in its semiannual regulatory agenda. CII applauded the commission for issuing three final rules referenced in the release that one require companies that want to stay listed on the exchanges to have clawback policies, two restrict trading company stock by companies and company insiders using rule 10b5-1 trading plans, and three require companies disclose more granular information about stock repurchases. Another section of the letter, CII encourages the SEC to issue a proposed rule that closes two disclosure loopholes by requiring one Disclosure of a quantitative reconciliation of generally accepted accounting principles to non-GAAP financial measures used to determine executive compensation in the proxy statement, and two, a qualitative description of why the non-GAAP measures are better for determining executive pay than GAAP financial measures. CII had filed a rulemaking petition with the SEC for such disclosures in 2019. The current letter said that CII continues to believe it is imperative that the SEC proposal rule require a minimum. That companies include a hyperlink to a GAP reconciliation for any non gaap financial measures contained in their compensation discussion and analysis section of their proxy statement. In another section, a letter CI recommends that the Commission grant final approval to propose rules that would establish a best execution standard for broker dealers and require them to report at least annually on the results of their review of their best execution policies and procedures. However, CI asked the SEC to address provisions in the proposed rules that exempt institutional customers and omit a proposed requirement for order-by-order decision-making. Letter expressed support for final rules on regulation NMS addressing conflicts of interest in the structure of stock exchange access fees and rebates. CI wrote, we generally favor a reduction in the access fee cap to 10 mils for all stocks priced at more than $1 because we believe it will update existing regulation to better reflect current market conditions. Finally, the letter expressed disappointment that the SEC had categorized proxy process amendments under long-term actions on its agenda. CI urges the commission to prioritize proxy plumbing by considering proposed rulemaking addressing end-to-end vote confirmation. Number three, on August 9th, President Joe Biden issued an executive order to ban new U.S. investment in key national security technologies and products in China. And the U.S. Department of Treasury concurrently issued a request for market participants to submit comments on the plan restrictions. Solicitation indicates that the U.S. Treasury Department expects to create a carve-out or exemption for specific types of transactions, such as certain investments in publicly traded securities. May also carve out an exception for transactions involving index funds, mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, and associated derivatives offered by an investment company as well as limited partner investments in venture capital, private equity funds, funds of funds, or other pooled investments. Market participants have until September 28th to submit their comments to the U.S. Treasury Department. The executive order would, in some cases, curb U.S. investment. In other cases, require U.S. investors to notify the Secretary of Treasury of investment in semiconductors, microelectronics, quantum information technologies and artificial intelligence systems where or the order explicitly allows for further expansion into other sectors list of specific companies subject to the order remains to be determined number 2 on august 23rd us securities exchange commission adopted new rules and amendments that require private fund advisors registered with the sec to provide investors with quarterly statements disclosing fund level information regarding performance cost of investing in the private fund fees and expenses paid by the private fund, as well as certain compensation and other amounts paid to the advisor. The Commission had originally released proposed rules on this topic in March of 2022. The final rules also require a registered private fund to distribute to its investors an annual financial statement audit of each private fund it advises. In addition, under the final rules, a registered private fund advisor will be required to obtain a fairness opinion or a valuation opinion when offering existing fund investors the option between selling their interests in a private fund and converting or exchanging their interests in the private fund for interest in another vehicle advised by the advisor. Furthermore, the final rules require the advisor to distribute to its investors a summary of any material business relationships the advisor has or has had within the prior two years with the independent opinion provider. Final rules bans private funds from giving preferential treatment to clients regarding redemptions and information sharing, if doing so would have a negative material impact on other investors. While the final rules prohibit charging certain fees and expenses, such as those related to court or government post sanctions to the private fund, a number of other prohibitions that were in the original proposed rules were dropped. Among those was a ban on fees for underperformed services like accelerated and monitoring fees. Council of Institutional Veterans sent a letter to the SEC on April 7, 2022, that supported the provisions and the proposed rules requiring that private fund advisors provide quarterly statements and include standardized fund fees, expenses, and performance in those statements. letter was referenced multiple times in the SEC's final rules. On September first, six private equity and hedge fund trade groups, including Managed Funds Association, filed suit against the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission arguing the agency overstepped its statutory authority when adopting the new final rules. The complaint alleges that the rules exceed the commission's statutory authority, were adopted without compliance with notice and comment requirements, and are otherwise arbitrary, capricious, in abuse of discretion, and contrary to law, all in violation of the Administrative Procedures Act. The complaint asks the court to vacate the rules. Brian Corbett, Chief Executive Officer of Managed Funds Association, commented that the rules will increase costs for investors and curb competition. And the number one, most significant development of corporate governance capital markets regulation during the period of August 1st to September 5th occurred on August 24th, when CII Research and Education Fund, a 501c3 nonprofit entity created by the Council of Institutional Investors, issued a new study that analyzes the returns of US dual class companies with classified boards. Companies examined had an average annualized return of 3.70% compared to 5.53% for small and medium cap US companies and 10.85% for the US total market under the same time frame. Companies with dual class structures classified boards that went public more recently than 5 years Had an annualized return of 22.32% since the date they went public. The study also contains two lowest returns lists. One, a list of U.S. companies that have been public for more than five years with both dual class stock without sunset provisions and classified boards. And two, a lowest returns list of U.S. companies that have been public for less than five years with dual class stock without sunset provisions and classified boards. CI has long noted the empirical research on dual class companies includes a study entitled The Life Cycle of Dual Class Firms which concludes that on average at the time of the IPO multi class firms tend to have valuation premiums above single class firms and those premiums dissipate over time and turn into discounts 7 years after the IPO For many years CI has pressed dual class IPO companies to include reasonable time based sunset provisions in their charters and has emphasized that seven or fewer years post-IPO is a sensible time frame. That completes my monthly U.S. Corporate Governance and Capital Markets Update. If you have any questions regarding any of the issues discussed, please feel free to email me at jeff, J-E-F-F, at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Till next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.